We are bike. Welcome to another episode of the Ace of Spades Dynasty League Pod. Y'all know who the fuck it is, man. It's the host with the most Cam, aka the Dynasty Demigod, aka the Ace of Spades Thanos, aka the nigga with four of them things, aka Mr. You fuck with me. You fucking with the best. Follow me on Twitter at Cam's Not Sober. Podcast Puffy is back. Back with more of that off season splat. This that splat right there. As always, we're going to kick this episode off with some NFL news and notes. Carryon Johnson waved by Detroit. And quickly picked up by the Philadelphia Eagles. I contemplated actually leaving this out of the news segment because, you know, Kerryon Johnson is dusty. I, I think he's a zero, a zero. But um, I think it, it is something to monitor with how the team views Miles Sanders. I mean, obviously it's a new coaching staff, but based on the moves that they made already, while pretty marginal, um, I think they could be viewed as an indictment on Miles Sanders in a way. Um, Kenneth Gainwell being drafted with fifth-round draft capital isn't that big of a deal relative to draft position. But based on the talent evaluation of Kenneth Gainwell, I think he's a lot better than a fifth-round pick RB, and it's going to be interesting to see what the stories are throughout training camp and how he looks and how he's viewed by the team. Uh, as well as if a player like Kerryon Johnson actually makes that active roster to start the season. So, though I think Kerryon is dusty, and I don't think he's a good running back, I don't think he's been a good running back since um, his rookie season after his first injury, it does beg the question, you know, why such a crowded RB room in Philadelphia? You know, we saw with the last coaching staff, they didn't view Miles Sanders as a workhorse back. And then with the new coaching staff, some of the moves that they've made indicate they feel the same way about Miles Sanders. So I'm lower on Miles Sanders as a dynasty asset uh, in general. And these moves, while I, well, uh, though I think they're marginal, still make me question, you know, how Miles Sanders is going to be utilized and what his value in dynasty is going forward. So just the situation to monitor there. Next news item, Cortland Sutton should be ready to start the season. This is great news for uh, Cortland Sutton owners. Chris um, has the Cortland Sutton share in our Ace of Spades Dynasty League, so I know he's probably excited to get him back in his lineup as early as week one. And the last bit of news item, um, Hayden Hurst has his fifth-year option declined. Uh, Hayden Hurst is the tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, they just spent the uh, number four overall pick on tight end Kyle Pitts, so this probably signals the end of the road for Hayden Hurst as an Atlanta Falcon post-2021. His will is up for Kyle, Kyle Pitts. So uh, whoever owns Kyle Pitts... Oh, oh, wait, that, that's me. I own Kyle Pitts, niggas. It's over with for y'all. I, I don't really understand, you know, how I haven't gotten more calls or I haven't received 
many inquiries for my tight ends and ace of spades. Like, it's a tight end premium league, and we got some teams out there that are in desperate need of a tight end. And, and you know, some of these guys are fringe contenders that, um, you know, could benefit from an elite tight end to take their team over the hump. But we'll get into that in a bit. Um, that wraps up the NFL News and Notes segment. Let's get straight into the ace of spades news and notes segment. And I'm going to be answering some questions from around the league uh, in this segment as well. So first question I got was about the scoring for 2021 because I'd mentioned I was going to nuke this league so we could reset the scoring from last year's IDP format. Obviously, we dropped IDPs coming into the season. So I want the scoring to uh, the historical scoring in our league to represent uh, what our league is currently in the future. So um, we're not going to have uh, nearly as many high scoring games or as high of scoring games as we had last season. So I don't want us to look back and see all the scoring records that were broken last year in terms of of team week to week scoring and us never be able to uh, essentially break those records in the future because we no longer have, you know, six additional starting players in our lineup anymore, uh, uh, taking into account the IDPs being dropped. So I am going to reset the league. So that sparked a couple questions about scoring. The scoring in ace of spades will be identical in 2021. So nothing's changing about the scoring. The only thing that's changing in terms of format is, um, the, the loss of IDPs going into the season and potentially an additional flex spot, which is still undecided. Uh, tight end premium scoring will remain the same tier. PPR scoring for running backs and wide receivers will uh, remain the same. Um, again, and that ties back into, you know, my original point about, you know, the tight ends in the league, uh, Danny Ray and Elma in particular, all fringe contending teams, all with a tight end problem. And, um, you know, I have three essentially top six, dynasty tight ends three top five dynasty tight ends on my roster and you know these guys are just kind of dragging their feet it's going to be very difficult for a contending team to really make a push for a championship without an elite tight end you have to be really strong everywhere and you have to be stronger than the top two teams at other positions if you don't have a premium tight end so it's just going to be a huge uphill battle for some of these fringe playoff teams or fringe championship teams I should say that don't have an elite tight end to compete with myself or Kurt because these teams aren't better than ours at any other position either and they lack that elite tight end one so going to be interesting to see this offseason and how it pans out and and if I get any additional offers for some of my tight ends (laughs) Um, but I haven't gotten many yet Uh, Danny I need AJ Brown bro Uh, I I ain't gonna hold you I don't want to have to knock your ass out bro I don't want to have to fuck you up Smokey Playing with my money is like playing with my emotions. So go ahead and send me an A.J. Brown uh, deal for like Kittle Plus or some shit like that. You think something up and let me know. Uh, what else is here? Um, the addition of two roster spots. So I probably should have started the Ace of Spades news and notes with that, but we will be adding two additional roster spots today. So if you listen to the podcast today, you're going to be, uh, you know, um, the early bird essentially. And uh, I'm not going to announce this in the league chat because as always we want to encourage people to actually listen to the fucking podcast so um if you want to be a good league mate let your league mate uh let your league mates know that we're adding two additional roster spots today if you don't let your league mates know i don't care um i'd rather people just listen to the pot themselves and get that information but if you want to be a good league mate let everybody know uh if not i don't really care um I was kind of against the addition of two roster spots just because I like the more shallow rosters because it forces people into tough decisions about the players that they want to keep over the available players 
on the waiver wire. And the more roster spots you add, it takes, you know, those tough decisions out of the equation so people can just roster a bunch of players and kind of hoard them until, you know, they materialize into a fantasy asset, which I don't really like. But one thing I do like about the idea of adding additional roster spots is that it forces more trades. So you aren't able to find replacement level players on waivers. So you're forced to go knock on some doors and figure out if anybody's willing to do a deal just based on what your needs are and, you know, what players that they, that they have on their roster. So um, there are pros and cons to it. So if we got majority vote. I don't mind uh, bumping it up, but we can always change it closer. It gets to the season if um, it's more disadvantageous than, than advantageous, but we'll see. But we got majority vote. So I will be adding two additional roster spots this evening. That will take effect immediately so if you have any additional players on waivers that you would like to add you can do that today and you won't have to drop anyone to add those players to your roster next 2022 ace of spades draft news i've been getting a lot of questions about the 2022 draft because it is going to be wonky and the first round is going to essentially be um um, a custom built out round due to all the compensatory picks in 2022. So people wanted more clarity around those 2022 picks. So I have it here. Uh, 2022 picks are going to be a bit devalued uh, because of the compensatory picks. So take that into account when you're trading for 2022 picks. Um, and ultimately I would like to make 2022 the last year for compensatory picks for, for quite some time. We had, uh, three years go by before we had to do any compensatory picks since 2018. Uh, this is the first year in three years we've had to do it, and we had to do a bunch this year, and we're going to have to do. We're going to have to do a bunch next season as well. So hopefully we have the right guys in the league. I'm pretty sure we do. Uh, we have a really good group. Um, we have you know the usual suspects that have been in the league for you know ten years now. They don't. They're not going anywhere. Um, there are about seven of those guys, but. We also added uh, some new guys that I think are going to be around for the long haul. So uh, hopefully we can keep the compensatory picks at a minimum over the next several seasons. Uh, but 2023, I want to make sure we don't have any um, compensatory pick owners for 2022 as it stands. Uh, for the first round, we have Ramon, Juan, and Buck. So we have... Three compensatory picks in the first round off rip. Um, there was going to be an additional comp pick in the first round. It was going to go to BT. But after I did some scrubbing of all the draft picks in the order, as well as evaluated BT's team and saw where his picks were. Um, and more importantly, after I just shifted Kurt's 2022 first round pick that he acquired for Ju from Justin to BT's team, um, I think we're going to leave BT's picks the way they are. He owns his first round pick and he just got another free first round pick from Kurt. So I don't think I'm going to give him a compensatory pick um, in 2022. I think he'll be okay, even though his team is towards the bottom of the league. Um, so first round, we got Ramon, Juan and Buck. Second round, none officially, but potentially Justin will end up with a compensatory second round pick. He slipped a bit and he caught a really bad brick with the James Robinson trade, uh, essentially coming up with a zero there. So we'll see how the James Robinson situation uh, plays out in, in Jacksonville. And if that dude's a, a complete zero in terms of fantasy value, I'll probably um, give Justin um, an early second round compensatory pick just to try to help him out and give him a shot there to kind of rebound from that trade. Uh, but not officially yet. So 
the only official compensatory picks we have in 2022 are the three we have in the first round. Those picks will all be top five picks. So again, keep that in mind if you're trading for 2022 first. Ramon is going to pick at the top of the draft regardless. His team is by far the worst team in the league. He should secure the number one overall pick on his own. His compensatory pick will also fall in the top five. Juan will probably not earn a top three pick, but he could potentially earn a top five pick himself, and he will also receive a compensatory pick in the top five. Buck, depending on the direction he wants to take his team, um, which if I know Buck, he's going to try to unload some of those elite aging assets and go into more of a rebuild, he's another team that could potentially earn a top six pick. So these are all three teams that could be picking in the top six on their own just based on finish that will also receive compensatory picks as well in the top five. So my point is the first six picks off the board could go to these three teams. So even if you are in a situation where you want to tank or you're not necessarily contending, so you want to fall into that early mid-round pick range, Keep that in mind when you're baking out your strategy for 2022 because there are several guys that likely have a worse team than you and also have compensatory picks baked into the first round. All right. Next, 2022 draft conversation continued. The auction draft. I got questions about the auction draft for 2022 and beyond. Sleeper just rolled out auction drafts. Uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe a week ago. I don't even know if two weeks fully have have passed since then. So our 2022 draft will be an auction draft. Now, the simplest way I can explain it now without diving too deep into it, because we have a full season to get everyone up to speed on what that auction draft will look like. The picks that are slotted have dollar amount values attached to them. Yeah, that's pretty much the easiest way I can explain it. So if you have what is considered the 101, the first pick in the first round, just for easy math purposes, that pick will be worth $10,000. And the number two overall pick will be worth, you know, $6,500. So if you have the second overall pick and the person with the number one overall pick wants a player there is absolutely no way you can outbid the guy who has the number one overall pick if your only other pick is the number two overall so let's say you have the second overall pick and the guy who has the first overall pick wants to bid on sam howell next year that owner with the number one overall pick could bid $6,501 and completely outbid everyone for that player. So the reason I wanted to explain it, at least at this level to start, is because I don't want anyone to get nervous who owns a top three pick and they're like, fuck, does this mean somebody with the 11th pick or the 12th pick can outbid me? Unlikely. Um, I haven't figured out the actual dollar amounts that we're going to have. 
um, in terms of slotting them for those first round picks, but I'll probably use the format that I have in my, my other league, my big money league that we use and I, because I think it's pretty fair. And you would have to have like the fifth, sixth and seventh pick to be able to outbid the number one overall pick for any player. And I like that better because if you earn the number one overall pick and your team is that bad, you should be able to outbid everyone for that number one overall player and still have some auction dollars left over. So I probably confused you guys with that explanation of, of what the auction draft is. So I'll start slowly getting the league up to speed and sending information out on what that draft will look like and working closely with the teams who should be picking at the top of the draft on strategy and making sure that they don't fumble the bag on, the, on that draft. Because how it works in the process of doing the draft is, you know, essentially, like, for example, I'll nominate a player and it doesn't have to be, you know, the top player on the board. But for instance, if we would have done an auction draft, uh, in 2021 this year for this rookie draft, the first player nominated could have been like Amari Rogers. And then somebody could have bid, you know, 500 bucks on Amari Rogers. And even if you have the number one overall pick value, you probably don't want to bid on that player at all because you don't want to take away from your auction dollars, especially if you're going to need that money to bid on the player that you want at the top of the draft. So there is a lot to digest there. Please do your own research on auction draft. I don't want everything coming from me in terms of strategy. So um, look at as much documentation as you can and kind of plan out and plan accordingly for what's to come. But the reason we're moving to the auction draft in the first place is because I want to add an additional uh, layer of strategy to the league. And auction really does that. I think people get super caught up in uh, draft placement and it forces like a super lazy strategy, right? Like you... Uh, sit there and you tank for the season and you get the number one overall pick and you know like hey I'm going to pick number one in the first round number number one in the second round number one in the third round and you know your your draft is is pretty much baked out in terms of strategy you're going to get your crack at you know the top players in in every round so I want to add an additional layer of strategy to kind of force people to think through draft strategy at a higher level and it'll make it a lot more interesting for people with those mid-round picks and people who have multiple first round picks and how they use their money. You know, is the person who owns five, six, and seven going to outbid, you know, the person who owns number one? For instance, you know, a player like Elmo uh, this year, he had four first round picks. But let's say I had that Trevor Lawrence pick and hadn't given it to Elmo. And let's say that was my only pick. Elmo had four first round picks. So in an auction draft, he would have had more money than me in totality. But would he use all of his auction dollars just to outbid me for Trevor Lawrence? Or would he let me take Trevor Lawrence with my auction dollars and then load up on other players throughout the draft? So it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have when you're uh, looking at our draft in retrospect in terms of how it could have gone if it were auction. But I just want you guys to start turning the wheels there and figure out, you know, what your strategy is going to look like and, you know, how you guys view 2022 picks and beyond, knowing that we're going into an auction format moving forward. So, Spent more time on auction draft uh, than I wanted to, but when I started talking about it, I figured I wanted to give you guys as, as holistic of a picture as I possibly could. But that pretty much wraps up questions that I've received about the 2022 draft. Not as bad as I thought it would be in terms of compensatory picks. Um, the only team that I can see throwing a monkey wrench in it currently is Justin, and that's that's um, uh, dependent upon how that trade between him and Kurt pans out. But for the most part, we only have three, uh, not for the most part, Currently, we only have three compensatory picks. So if you are projected to have pick six, it's not that bad. You now have pick nine. 
Um, so, so we'll figure it out as we go. Everybody, please bear with us. Hopefully we get everything in order so we don't have to have compensatory picks in 2023 and beyond. Um, divisions. League divisions. This is something else that I've been wanting to talk about on the last couple podcasts, but I haven't had the opportunity to. Division one, you have myself, Ray, Ramon, and Rio. Division two, we have Curtis, Buck, Elmo, and BT. Damn, that's 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 a tough division. And uh division three, we have Daniel, Mook, Justin, and Chris. By far the weakest division in the league Those are the three divisions But I did want to talk about Some exciting elements Of uh, how divisions Are going to impact Our overall dynasty league So Number one Effective immediately Division winners Will have the right To name the division Effective today So the three division winners from last year and the people who own their own divisions going into the 2021 season are myself in division one, Curtis in division two, and Daniel in division three. So those are the first, second, and third place finishing teams. They are the leaders of those respective divisions and they will be able to call those divisions whatever they want for the 2021 season. So if Kurt wants to call his division, you know, Kurt and the bitches, he can do that. If Danny wants to call um, his division, you know, fake sharp Danny and the gang, he can do that. They can call it whatever. If, if Danny wants to call his division, Justin is a bitch, he can do that. Whatever they want to name those divisions, they have the right to do that, and they have the right to change that division name uh, as many times as they'd like throughout the season. But that isn't even the most exciting part about the divisions. Starting in 2021, division winners will get to choose the punishment for the team that comes in last place in the division. Now, this punishment has to be reasonable. I know what y'all are thinking, some wild-ass shit. It has to be reasonable and, and within, you know, um, um, we, that's the best way I can put it. With, within reasonable expectations of what somebody is willing to do for a fake fucking football league. So that can be a team name change, a profile picture change, recording a video saying something embarrassing, like, I don't know, something like that. Don't be asking nobody to run butt naked down the street or, or you know, Go flip somebody's car over or go cow tipping or some shit like that. You know, reasonable fantasy football punishment. So, again, division winners post-2021 will get to choose the punishment for whatever team comes in last in that division. So, we saw this season, Chris came in last place in the entire league and he had to change his name to Shitty Girls. The overall last place finishing team is still going to be punished based on whatever the league decides, but we're also going to have individual um, division rankings and whoever finishes last in the division is at the mercy of whoever finishes in first. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. Let me know in the chat what you guys think about that change and if you guys are excited for it. I'm interested to hear your feedback. League dues for Ace of Spades. Obviously, 
the league dues for the 2021 season have already been paid. The league dues for the 2022 season will remain unchanged. The buy-in is still $25. However, starting in 2023, the league dues will increase. The league dues will go from $25 to $50. Again, league dues for 2022 will remain the same, $25. And the league dues starting in 2023 will be $50. Please let me know if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback regarding that change. It shouldn't come to a surprise to anyone that's listened to the podcast. This was always going to be the case. So just prepare for that change. Also a reminder that future draft pick trading isn't permitted unless your league dues are paid for that season already. Again, this is the KB rule. So if you would like to trade 2022 picks, your league dues for 2022 need to be paid. For further clarity, you are allowed to acquire future first-round picks or future picks in general without paying your league dues in advance. But you are not allowed to trade those picks away if you have not paid your league dues for that respective season. All right. Let's get into the only segment that we have for this podcast Outside of the NFL and Ace of Spades news and notes, actually, it's like a segment and a half. We're going to do the Ace of Spades 2021 post-draft power rankings. And this is actually not something that I put any time into. I just went to the Dynasty uh, the Dynasty Nerds Dynasty GM tool and saw the team values and rankings um, after the draft, after our draft picks have been assigned to our teams and, and whatever numerical value that this tool uh, attaches to those players. So I'm going to give out the rankings from last place to first place. These rankings do not include draft picks. So these are specifically 2021 power rankings and how our teams shake up with one another. Let's start with team... 12 so the team in last place no surprise going into the 2021 season this guy's in full tank mode it is v's um he has needs everywhere quarterback wide receiver running back tight end Uh, like i said it's a full rebuild no surprise there he should be looking for uh forward to 2023 2024 type shit that's the type of hole this team is in so um again no surprise he comes in in last place this next team was actually a surprise uh coming in at 11th place bt and uh, I looked at BT's team. He's actually strong at QB. Um, you know, it's, it's strong as relative, but to the field. I mean, he has Russell Wilson and Jalen Hurts as his QBs. Those are two really strong QB1 and QB2 options for the season. So I was trying to figure out why he was ranked so low in Dynasty GM. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a starting running back. I mean, um, you could say Miles Gaskin is, you know, a post-draft winner because Miami didn't invest any significant draft capital into RB, but that isn't. The, the running back that I want to go into the season with as my RB1. Uh, also, BT still doesn't have an elite wide receiver. He's got a bunch of receivers on his roster, but no alphas. And, you know, he, he has a decent tight end room. And by tight end room, I mean TJ Hawkinson. So I was actually surprised to see BT this low. I think he's losing a ton of value on his roster, not having a, a running back. But this may actually work to BT's advantage because he is a team or he does have a team built that could shift into more of a rebuild. 
uh, running backs are obviously depreciating assets. So maybe it's actually a good thing that he doesn't have any uh, on his roster because they will lose value over time and BT should be thinking towards the future. Uh, same thing with this team up next coming to number 10, Rio. Uh, we had a back and forth with Elmo uh, in the chat about, you know, whether or not Rio should have, should have sent that future second round pick from Melvin Gordon. Um, and, and, you know, we were, playing devil's advocate with, with Elmo there. But um, Rio is a weird team because his team is probably a lot better than it's being rated on this Dynasty GM tool just because he has a lot of serviceable replacement-level players that he can plug into his lineup and actually compete with. He also has an abundance of draft picks over the next two seasons, 22 and 23, that he could flip for elite, talented players to plug into his lineup and actually make a playoff push this year. So this is a team that actually has a lot of options in terms of strategy, but as it stands, he comes in at bottom three, uh, bottom three projected team for 2021. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction Rio takes in if he wants to continue to be patient and wait for, you know, the mid-round picks that he should receive this year and, you know, the four first-round picks that he has for 2023, or if he wants to mortgage some of those picks away and start adding elite talent to his roster. Uh, next in ninth place, we got Mook. Um, he's another team that didn't improve drastically after the 2021 rookie draft, but he mortgaged his top five pick away for, uh, a couple late first round picks. And I think that was the right move just because he has so many holes to fill. He's fine at his QB one spot, but probably needs to invest heavily into a second long-term QB option. He's got Aaron Jones on his roster who's going to depreciate in value just because he's going into his age 26 season. He probably wants to move away from him if he's thinking towards the future. And he's got an issue with a couple of his wide receivers as well. You know, Robert Woods and Adam Thielen are coming to the end of the road. So he probably wants to unload some of these guys for some young wide receiver talent or some future draft picks. Uh, but yeah, all in all, this is a team that's shifting towards a full rebuild as well. So there's no surprise he comes in the bottom five. Next, coming in number eight, uh, we got Chris here. Um, again, this is this is one of the middling teams. Uh, he's pretty close to Justin and Buck here. These guys are coming up next. Chris uh, had a really, really good draft. Uh, he was able to add Trey Lance, who I think is the long-term answer to his QB issues. Um, similar to Mook, Chris has a running back that's a depreciating asset that I would probably recommend he get rid of. He's got Ezekiel Elliott uh, going into his age 26 season as well. He should probably try to flip him for as much as he possibly can, uh, just because we've seen RBs depreciate significantly in value after that age 25 season. And his wide receiver group is is pretty good, in my opinion. He's got Cortland Sutton, Kenny Galladay, uh, Boo Boo, Smith-Schuster. Uh, but he was also able to add Terrace Marshall and Rondell Moore in a draft. So I think his wide receiver group is, is really good, and these guys are going to hold value year over year. So I would probably try to flip Zeke for you know maybe a high-end wide receiver uh, to an RB needy team or a contending team, maybe a young uh, ascending wide receiver. Um, or if I could flip Zeke for a couple future first-round picks, I would absolutely do that as well. Coming in at number seven, we got we got a team that's stuck in purgatory right here. We got Justin's team coming in at number seven. Um, yeah, Justin's in a tough spot. He did make a really good trade. I felt like unloading Aaron Rodgers, and he got a ton of value back in that trade. Um, he's still kind of in a situation that you know you don't want to be in in Dynasty, especially after him finishing outside the top three last year. Now he's got a bunch of depreciating assets on his team. Dalvin Cook holds a ton of value on his roster. Justin still has a top three, top five RB room in the league, 
but he probably wants to start shipping these guys away just because I don't think this team has a snowball's chance in Miami to make a playoff run for a championship. Uh, so assets like Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry don't really do him any good, especially since his RB3 is up in the air. He made the move to trade a future first-round pick for James Robinson. That was a catastrophic trade for his team. He lost all value pretty much instantly after pick 25 in the NFL draft when, when Travis Etienne's name was called. So he's in a very, very difficult situation, and I would be trying to unload Dalvin Cook for as much as I possibly can, um, as well as Derrick Henry. I don't think these assets really do anything for his build, and I don't think this is a championship team. Coming in at number six, we got Buck. Buck is in an interesting situation because he actually has studs at every position. He's got a stud QB for Dynasty and Joe Burrow. He's got what what I consider a stud RB and Joe Mixon. Uh, he'll definitely be a top 10 RB this season if he's healthy. He's got an elite wide receiver one in Stephon Diggs, and he's also got some really good receivers behind him, like good young receivers behind him, like Brandon Ayuk and Elijah Moore. And at the tight end position, he's got Mark Andrews and Irv Smith. So he's got some really interesting pieces. Me, Noam Buck. Joe Mixon is going to be moved from his team. Stefan Diggs is probably going to be moved from his team for the right offer. And he's probably going to try to move on from Matt Ryan as well because he's entering his age 36 season. So I know Buck. I know Buck's a strategist. He's going to try to chisel this team down and keep the uh, young, ascending, talented assets he has and move on from any asset that he thinks is going to depreciate over time. So his team is is considered a playoff team by Dynasty GM in these rankings. But I know Buck is going to shave this team down and shift to more of a rebuild and try to get as high of a pick as he possibly can uh, going into next season. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, this is another team that could earn a top six pick in addition to the compensatory pick that he'll receive in the top five. And I think that's going to be the move for Buck. Coming at number five, we got Ray. Ray has a, a, a solid team minus the tight end position. He has literally zeros at the tight end position, especially after the Steelers drafted Pat Fryermuth. So I'm interested to see what he's going to do about tight end. I've offered him a couple trades trying to get him a tight end if he's going to contend for a title. And, you know, we haven't been able to get anything done. So it's going to be interesting to see if Ray is just going to stay in this gray area as a tweener team or if he's going to uh, make a trade that's actually going to, to benefit his roster in the future. Knowing Ray, he's probably going to sit here and, and tight end purgatory because he doesn't know how to fucking manage a team. But we'll see. We'll see. He has a decent QB group, Baker Mayfield, Tannehill, and Mac Jones. Uh, we think he'll be starting before the end of the season. He's got a good running back group as well, led by DeAndre Swift. And he has, you know, Miles Sanders and Kareem Hunt behind him, uh, as well as some... Um, you know, replacement level backs um, in his depth chart as well that could that could serve flex value depending on if there are injuries or um, during bye weeks and things like that. And his wide receiver group is okay. He's got Tyreek Hill, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Will Fuller. So I mean, outside of Tyreek Hill, his his wide receiver core is pretty met, especially with those two Pittsburgh guys. Um, I don't think Big Ben is going to uh, throw the ball. You know. 600 plus times well over a 17 game pace he probably will but I don't think he's going to pass as much as he did last year especially with the addition of Najee Harris uh, they invested a first round pick into a running back so I think that team wants to change its identity a bit and Big Ben is dust he's on his last leg so I would be a little iffy about this team if I were Ray because he has a lot of players on his team that could lose significant value this season 
Zoray needs to find an identity and figure out what he, what he wants to do with this roster. Um, if I'm Ray, I'm, I'm trying to find a fucking tight end, bro. Because if you're going to stay in this top five, top four range, you want to give yourself a reasonable chance to compete. And with this team the way it's currently built, he's not even as good as the other two teams that I'm going to speak on next that, that don't have a tight end option as well. These guys are just better than Ray at their other positions. So coming in at number four, we got Danny. His QB group is solid. He's got Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Zach Wilson, and Derek Carr. His, his QB group isn't solid. It's actually really good. Uh, when you take into account this is a super flex league, I think his QB room is good. Uh, his RB room is okay. I'm not a big believer in Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I think they're going to be, uh, the Indianapolis culture going to deploy some sort of committee with you know a, a plethora of, of running backs. And I think Jonathan Taylor, obviously, he, he's going to lead that committee. But I don't really know what that's worth, especially since I'm projecting a reduced passing game role um, post Philip Rivers era. But nonetheless, he's got Jonathan Taylor, he's got Josh Jacobs, he's got Chris Carson, and uh, I guess that's pretty much it in terms of depth. It, you know, we only have to start one RB, so I wouldn't be panicking too much if I'm Danny, but if anything happens to Jonathan Taylor, uh, he, he only really has some stopgap guys in here, and, and none of these guys are really going to offer you uh, top top eight upside at the RB position. Jacobs, um, you know, with the addition of Kenyon Drake, and, you know, we've seen that John Gruden coaching staff and how they deploy Jacobs. He's, he's never going to be a consistent uh, top eight RB uh, for, for fantasy. And with Chris Carson, he doesn't play 16 games. So um, I'd be a little skeptical about this RB depth, but as long as Jonathan Taylor stays healthy, I think he'll have a good enough RB to, to lead his pack. Um and his wide receivers are great. He has A.J. Brown, D.J. Moore, Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham, um, and some other uh, replacement-level guys that he can add in his lineup when he needs to in terms of, of bio weeks or injuries. Um, so I think Danny's all in all a really good team. has a really, really good shot to actually compete for a championship. He made it to um, quarterfinals last year. No, he made it to... S- he made it to semis last year. He made it to the semifinal last year, lost to me, and then won the third-place game against Justin. So he's definitely a team on the rise. He's made some pretty aggressive moves recently to sew up his QB position. So I'm excited to see what Danny does in the future. Hopefully hopefully we can broker a deal, man. I, I, want, I want to give one of these guys a tight end, you know, specifically these three teams that, you know, well, two teams I've talked about. I'm going to talk about the third here. But I think all three of these guys are a tight end one away from actually like truly contending for a championship until they get that. I don't really take these guys too seriously. Uh, coming in next at number three, we got David, AKA Elmo, AKA dirty Mo, AKA. They do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I've acquired over a very long career skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. A.K.A. Liam Neeson. You know, Elmo's been in his bag. Like, this nigga's been in his duffel bag all offseason. A.K.A. Duffy season Elmo. Um, he used the number one overall pick, no-brainer, to, to take Trevor Lawrence and kind of help him with his his QB issue that he's had over the past, you know, 12 months. Uh, he shipped away Lamar Jackson for a package, and we can go back and determine whether or not that was a, that was a good trade or not. He did get a lot of value in return, but in retrospect, um probably would have been better off keeping Lamar Jackson. Not really sure if he could have secured the Trevor Lawrence pick if he did. So, you know, maybe I'll dive into that for another podcast and see, you know, how that trade ultimately worked out for Elmo. Uh, he has Daniel Jones as a QB too, which I think that's that's a really good um, – uh, 
I can't even call him a low-end QB2 because I think even Daniel Jones is, is good enough to perform at mid-level QB2 play with all those weapons. And I think Daniel Jones fucking sucks. But I think he is going to be a solid QB2 with upside this year. Elmo's running backs are super impressive. He got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from me. I think he's in for a smash season. I'm actually trying to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back from Elmo. Elmo also invested the number seven overall pick in Najee Harris. I can't believe Najee Harris made it to pick 107. I think that's about where he should be picked. I think a lot of people in other leagues are overdrafting him, you know, in the top three, top five. But Elmo was able to get who I still think is the RB1 in this class with the seventh pick in our Superflex draft. And he has J.K. Dobbins as his, you know, RB2-3 and David Montgomery and, and Trey Sermon as his RBs four and five. His RB room is really, really good. And getting into his wide receivers, he's got Justin Jefferson, Chris Godwin, Javante, uh, Javante, Devante Smith, Jerry Judy, and DJ Chark. His wide receivers are also really solid. So he doesn't necessarily have uh, his skill positions at RB and wide receiver littered with elite talent, but he has damn good talent at both wide receiver and running back. His only glaring need is tight end. Obviously, Robert Tunyon was super efficient last year. I don't think he's going to come close to that level of, of efficiency uh, this season, especially if Aaron Rodgers isn't there. And then he got Jonu Smith, which I would have been a lot higher on had they not signed Hunter Henry literally the day after the Patriots signed Janu. Uh, but he's got some interesting tight end flyers as well towards the bottom of his depth chart. He's got Cole Komet that I think gets a boost with Justin Fields. And he's got Brevin Jordan, which if you ignore the round five draft capital, he is a player uh, that dynasty circles were pretty high on coming into the 2021 NFL draft. So there is some potential there with him. But again, just like Danny's team, I don't know if these teams are good enough outside of the tight end position to be able to compete with these next two teams who also have elite tight ends. Coming in at number two, we have the defending champion, Curtis, a.k.a. Kirk Cashy, a.k.a. Mr. Take Your Bitch, whenever he wants to, a.k.a. Danny's big homie. Emphasis on big... Kirk coming in with the best QB group in the entire league. He's got Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. This dude's QB room is an absolute cheat code. Going to his RBs, he's got Alvin Kamara, Cam Akers, Austin Eckler, Michael Carter, who I have absolutely no idea how he fell to Kurt. I think it was all the way at pick 20. I think it was pick 29, bro. Like he fell to Kurt, like maybe it was 26. He fell very far in this draft, a lot further than he should have. Shout out to Buck for drafting Davis Mills over Michael Carter. Yeah, nigga, I'm not letting it slide. You fucked up, big dog. But I think Kurt was able to get a steal, and I believe it's the early third round. I should have actually looked at that before I recorded. But he's got Kamara, Akers, Eckler, and his RB4 is Michael Carter, which I think that's a damn good RB4. I was really high on Michael Carter coming into the draft season. And he didn't get day two draft capital, but he was at the top of day three. So I still think he's going to be a contributor, and I think he's the best RB in that backfield. And that isn't even Kurt's uh, best group. His best group is is the combination of his pass catchers with, with tight end and wide receiver. He's got... Devontae Adams, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, and he has Darren Waller as his tight end. Kurt's a really strong team. No surprise, he's in the top two. And last year, he wasn't two. Coming in at number one, you got myself. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on my team. Y'all know who the fuck it is, man. Y'all know how the fuck I get down, man. Uh, I mean, I mean, seriously, like, 
I mean, I've been a team to beat for the last five years. I've been in the grand final the last five years. I don't need to waste time going over my team. Y'all know me. I got bench players better than y'all starters. It ain't no surprise. So uh, do I want to wrap up here? I'm at 43 minutes. I'll do this last segment. I'll do it quick. We'll stay under an hour. Um, we'll stay under 50 minutes. Uh, 50 minutes, actually. Um, the last segment I'll do, this is the half segment that I mentioned earlier in the pod, the early 2022 GM of the year award race. So if anybody new to the league doesn't know how I evaluate GM of the year or what it is, it is the award that I give to the GM that had the best season. Now, the GM who had the best season, uh, we measure that by a combination of how well they drafted for the current season, how well they executed in trades in the current season, how active they are on waivers and how many waiver ads they hit on. And we evaluate either their record or if they're a rebuilding team, we evaluate their process. So draft, trades, waivers, process, or record, depending on if you're a contender or a rebuilder. Last year, oh, I'm sorry, and the prize for GM of the year is $100 cash. The winner of last year's GM of the year award was Rio. It was well-deserved. He obviously went into a rebuild and acquired an abundance of draft capital while giving up very, very little. So it was Rio the finesse kid last year. OG Rio had a, a spectacular season. Elmo was right on his heels. It was a very tough decision between those two guys. But I wanted to give you guys a sneak peek into who is currently leading the race for 2022 GM of the year because the race has already started. You know, the season officially started once we finished the rookie draft. So for everybody kind of dragging their feet and waiting for, you know, August minicamp to get here to start making moves, you're already behind. Coming in at number one, the guy who is leading this race is, is Elmo. A.K.A. Dirty Mo, A.K.A. Liam Neeson. So far, Elmo is in a race by himself. I won't get into all the moves he's made or how he's executed, but I'm really grateful and thankful to have somebody like Elmo in the league uh, because he's really taken his game to to another level and he's really pushing some of the GMs who have gotten um, kind of lax at the top of the standings by not really having to do much. And he's kind of putting those guys on notice and passing them up. There are a few GMs who had you know some things handed to them. And we're put in a position to succeed. And they've just gotten comfortable kind of sitting at the top and contending every year because other members of the league were so far behind. And Elmo's really kicked it into gear with his strategy and his activity over the past several months. I'm super happy to have Elmo. Um, and I'm really proud of the way he's been executing. That That's pretty much the race right there. I mean, there are some honorable mentions. Justin has made some pretty nice moves recently, but he's been overshadowed by that James Robinson trade. That was just a really, really bad trade and bad process on his part. So he isn't even close to being considered uh, uh, for, the, for the award, in my opinion, as it stands. Um, Ramon has made some really nice moves, too. Vies has made some really nice moves for being, you know, brand new in the league. He didn't have a great draft, in my opinion. That Kadarius Tony pick still stands out to me. I don't think that should have been the pick. Um, I think he should have gone, you know, elsewhere with that pick. I think there were some more uh, reliable wide receivers with more upside than Kadarius Tony. But we won't know until, you know, these players actually step foot on the field and we see, you know, who was right in terms of their process and how we evaluated these, you know, these players in the draft. Um, Chris is another name who should be on the brink of contending for the GM of the year award, just based on how well he drafted. So, you know, he has to hit on all these other metrics as well, but he had a really good start in terms of GM of the year consideration because of how well he started in terms of his rookie draft. And, Last but not least, in terms of honorable mentions, I'll throw out Mook's name. Juan has made a bunch of trades to accumulate draft picks. Keep in mind, this dude inherited this team with one pick, 
and he turned that one pick into like fucking I don't know, like ten picks over the next two seasons. <laughs> so he's done a, a low key, really, really good job accumulating draft picks. He had an okay draft, uh, similar to Ramon. We can't really expect a lot of these new GMs in terms of execution to start uh, in such a complex uh, dynasty league. But I think Juan and Ramon have done excellent jobs based on their depth of knowledge of dynasty and how they've executed so far. So we always say it doesn't matter how good your strategy is, really, as long as you have one. I think these guys have clear direction in terms of where they want to take their teams and they're focused up and they're executing the right way. I want to see a lot more from BT. BT's gotten a lot of passes from me recently, but I'm not going to give him a pass on his activity. I want to see BT shake some things up with that team and find an identity. Same thing with Rick. These are two GMs that were on a chopping block for me not too long ago in terms of, you know, um, who I was considering to 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 have replaced in the league. You know, I want these dudes to be active and I want them to continue to put activity behind their teams or or execution behind their teams, I should say. And from a tactical standpoint, I think both of these teams are, you know, lacking severely. I'll, I'll give Ray more of a nod because I think Ray is more active. He just doesn't know how to fucking trade or how to trade reasonably. But BT, just a lack of overall activity, at least from what I can see. Um, so I would like to see a lot more from him throughout the rest of the offseason, especially since, you know, we've as a league, you know, been very kind to BT in terms of the bandwidth we've given him so far. So I want to see BT give a little more back to the league. That's the show. That's the show. That's pretty good. I'm under 48 minutes. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. I'm still going to dive deep into the draft soon maybe we'll do some post-draft winners and losers uh you know maybe some winners in terms of rookies in their landing spot and some post-draft losers in terms of veterans maybe some veterans got some additional competition after the rookie draft so i'll do an episode like that and i also have some other ideas for off-season podcasts now that the draft is over and we're officially in the new league year And I'm also going to do a few podcasts that were suggested to me by the league that I think will be pretty fun as well. (sighs) I'm rambling, man. Drop the outro. Holla at you boys later. And remember, it's up there and it's still stuck there. Peace.